Tonight we are in Ephesians 2, um, and we are finishing up this first part uh, about what it's like to not be saved. And I think for, for you guys, a lot of you, I don't have to explain to you what it's like to not be saved, because you know, you lived it, you were there. Maybe the memory has faded a little bit over time and gotten a little further away, but then there are reminders that come up that show you that you're like, oh yeah, somebody does something, you're like, I used to do that all the time. That used to be me. You know, I, I used to lose my temper. I used to curse people out. I used to, whatever, right? That used to be me. And God gives you that reminder glimpse of what life is without Jesus and what life is now that you have Jesus. And even though we stumble and fall and, and we are not perfect uh, in our behavior, we are different than we were. And God is still at work transforming us. And so some of those moments where we see that is God's grace in our life to remind us, don't get so frustrated with yourself. I am at work and I'm doing, and you are different than you were. And I think that's exactly what Paul's doing here. There are a number of different applications to the way that he's talking about how we were and what it is like to not be saved. One of those applications is, but that's not what you are anymore. And the only difference between then and now is this work of God that he's about to pick up. If we can get to verse four, he's about to pick up in verse four because God is the star of this show. He is the, the main character of this story. He's the main character in the story of your life. You think you are, everything revolves around me. But really, God is the main character in the story of your life. You being a Christian is a reflection of the goodness of God, not the achievement of you, right? That we get down to verses eight and nine, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works. It's very clear, this is not about us. This salvation that we have reflects God. And I think we're... Sometimes we lose the, the emphasis that we find in the Word of God of what salvation says about God, and I'm hoping that we can dig some roots into it ourselves. So let's go back. We'll read these verses kind of again. Uh, I told you maybe memorizing them will be a good thing, so if I read them every week to you, maybe you'll memorize them. Who knows? All right. Chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then the rest of it we'll pick up later. But We've looked at those first couple of verses and we're almost at the end of verse three. Last week, we finished by talking about gratifying the cravings of our flesh, living as people that believe and act like, maybe the same thing, that having what we want, having things the way that makes sense to us is the key to happy living. Do you know anybody that lives like this? Having what I want is the way for me to be happy. My life making sense to me is the way for me to be happy. Do you know anybody that lives like that? I babysat someone today that lives like that. He is one and a half. He believes that if someone says no to him, his all hope of happiness has evaporated from the universe because the only way to happiness is having what I want and life making sense to me. And so Paul says, gratifying, that's how we used to live gratifying the desires of the flesh. And yet, when crisis comes and hard times come, we fall back into that more often than we should. That having what I want is the way that God shows me he's good. If he would just give me what I want, I would know he's good. Or life making sense to me, that would be it. And so he talks about this. You know, it, it, Paul puts it in a negative category, but most people think it's a positive category. Most people in this life use it as a motivational tool. Well, what do you want and how are you going to achieve it? 
We, we do it with our kids all the time, which I think is a really dangerous thing. We say to them, you can be anything you want to be. What, we're, what are we emphasizing there? You want. And if you can do what you want, then the implication is you'll be happy. Life will go well. Have you ever done what you wanted and then not been happy? This is a spiritual perspective. And I'm not saying it's wrong to encourage kids to, to reach and, and stretch. I'm just saying we're looking at discipleship stuff here. And we're looking at discipling our own hearts here. And so that Paul puts it in a negative category when so much of our natural person puts it in a positive category. If I could just have what I wanted, it would be good. And so he's, he puts that under this heading of gratifying the cravings of the flesh reflects us having been a slave to sin. We were in bondage to our desires and our thoughts. That flesh talking about our natural born humanity. The difference is now that we are saved, our flesh is not destroyed. We're going to look a little more of that when we get down to by nature, we were deserving of wrath. We were born as sinners, but now that we are recreated in Christ Jesus, we have a legitimate choice. We can live by the understandings of this, this world and our flesh, or we can live following the Spirit, being directed by the Spirit. And the Spirit will not always make your flesh comfortable. I'm not sure if you've noticed this. The Spirit will ask you to walk through fire and trust Him. The Spirit will ask you to lay aside what you think brings security and trust Him. The Spirit will ask you to step out into the unknown and trust Him. Your flesh says, no, 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 I need the things that I can control. I need the things that I know will help. I need... And the Spirit says, let go. Think the great illustration of Peter stepping out of the boat onto the water. And we're like, oh, man, yeah, but he sank. Yeah, but one of the 12 was out of the boat. You know what I mean? I don't know if you're in the middle of a storm in your life and Jesus says to you, I want you to step out of the boat and just trust me. Leave the security of knowing that a boat floats. And your only hope of staying above the water is staying in the boat and the boat staying afloat. Leave that aside and trust me. Come to me. I'm like, Peter, how could you not trust Jesus? You were walking on the water. Yeah, well, how can we not trust Jesus in the storm when he says, okay, the boat that you're holding on to, like it's your life, that's not your life. I'm your life. And I'm in charge of the water and I'm in charge of the soles of your feet. And if I ask you to step out, the spirit will make you uncomfortable and your flesh will grind against that and say, no, 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 I want what I want. I don't want to let go of what I want. I want what makes sense to me. I, know, I want what I know, what I feel secure and that's what I want. And the spirit says, no, what you need is to walk by faith. What you need is the invitation to more. And so that thing about our flesh causes it to fight for gratification all the time. And we didn't, we, didn't, we kind of closed right here. We didn't get to talk about this much, but have you noticed how your flesh fights for gratification? Like, as I think about it, I'd love for you to share with me ways that people's flesh fights. Even somebody who says, I am not going to be a slave to my flesh. I am not going to let the gratification of my desires run my life. Good, good decision. What comes next from your flesh? all-out war to regain control. So what kind of techniques does your flesh use to get back in control? Or do people's flesh, what kind of things happen when you say, my flesh is not going to be in charge of me, God is. And so your flesh feels that lack of authority, steering wheel control in your life, and it starts to battle to regain control. It starts to freak out and flip out so that you what kind of stuff goes on when that battle rages? Does anybody have any this kind of stuff? How does your flesh fight for gratification when you're saying, nope? What do you think? Lauren? Pass that back for me, Bob. My flesh wins for a period of time when it makes me forget what I said I wasn't going to do. Yes. And then, I'm, you know, I go back out of the situation. And I'm like, I did it again. Right, right. Yeah, it's, and, and that 
is a really powerful technique the flesh uses, which is to preoccupy you with something else and so kind of pushing away this decision you made. So it's forget, like, is a great word for it. It's a willful pushing away that your flesh does to grab your attention here so you don't think about there. Yeah, many times, many times. Bruce? Oh, okay. Putting temptation out in front of you. Yeah. In different things. Yeah. Just, just you know, driving down the road, you say you're not going to do this, and all of a sudden somebody cuts you off, and... Yeah. You tell him how nice he is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, with, with flowery words. Yeah, and the unexpected, your flesh, gra- your flesh is a very quick reactor for control. And so when something happens that you weren't braced for or whatever, you're not mindfully kind of in the spirit, the flesh will jump up really quick to take control because that moment of off balance, I think, is kind of the feel there. Like I, I was going along and then this hit me and I didn't have time to think about how I was going to respond. My flesh just whoosh right in there and grabbed the hold. Yeah, that happened to me quite a few times. And, 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 and one time it was like I could hear the spirit say, don't, don't, don't. And, but the guy's coming at me like this. Yeah, yeah. Dah, dah. And then, you know, I didn't care. But right. after that, I was almost crying. Yeah. But anyway, what I was thinking about when you were saying that is, you know, not every time, but a lot of times when you maybe come in the Bible study or come to church, something comes up, you know, uh, sometimes an argument comes up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, you know, sometimes it comes out hours before we're getting ready, you know. Yep. This happened a couple times in my life. Yeah. Just with Michelle, yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. But anyway, and, and as you're in it, and, and even afterwards, you just don't want to go. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I don't feel right going because I just... Yep. Sinned and all that stuff, yeah. but I'm staying stern on my, yeah. my argument. So that is a big thing with yep. me. Man. Big feelings. Big feelings. Whether <laughs> anger or sadness or what. Big feelings your flesh uses to try to turn the volume. You know what's surprising? People do not expect that I, getting up on Sunday morning, would ever have just had a fight. On, you know what I mean? <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like, well, you're, you guys are... You guys are holy people. That doesn't happen to you. Like as though the enemy goes, oh, I'm sorry. You guys are the pastor and his wife. That, oh, I'll just leave you guys alone on Sunday morning. And your, your flesh doesn't just want to rush in. You know what I mean? So it, yeah, that's a universal experience. There are many times where before we are going to do something for church or, or Bible study or that I just feel exhausted and my flesh is going, oh, you can't do this. Oh, you like just drained from whatever real or imagined stress is going on. And that is my flesh's way of trying to say, no, 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 this is, you're, you're not up for this. Let's just, let's just wave the white flag and, and go away. Yeah. Here's a, could you pass that back for me, Helen? Dana's got something back there in the back. Thank you. There you go, right? Just tired. Yep, yep. Nope. Yeah, and, but the battle's real because whether I, my flesh wins or doesn't win, the battle's there. And hopefully I, I don't regret because I, I'm aware of it and I can overcome it, and, but it, it fights every time. It is relentless. I was just going to say, and it feels very much like what exactly Bob started it off, and then you mentioned it and Helen too, but um, just physical exhaustion or illness. And I am certainly not saying come to church with pneumonia or you know, go do the thing that you believe God has called you to do because you're actually sick. That's not, of course not. But I do think that it's amazing. Um, I would say almost um, it's incredible the number of times somebody has made a comment about, I'm going to, you know, X, Y, Z. I'm going to be committed to that. And then, oh, I just had a horrible this or that. I had a horrible night. And like Mark said, I'll confess, Saturday nights are the absolute worst night of sleep in my life. I, Saturday, when I, I have, not every night, not, not every Saturday, but it, it's, and I have decided this is a spiritual battle. And so there's, because there's war to be waged on Sunday mornings. And I think this is that tendency, I mean, you know what I mean? How easy to just go, I just can't. I've slept for three hours. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know. There, that battle is there, and sometimes yeah. it's just in the physical, not even a mental or emotional 
thing, just a physical thing where the enemy gets in and says, no, you can't. You're too, you know, yep. you got the sniffles or whatever it might be. Yeah. No, it's oh. amazing that when you come, you, you, mm -hmm. you battle through that and you right. come. I, and probably everybody here can testify when you leave. You, right. are, you are so glad you came yep. and seen how God works. Yeah. That, that's the spirit and, the, and the, you know, yeah. it builds the faith and trust. Yep. That you're, you're real. Yeah. This is cool. That's and, right. Well, the more you live with it, the more you understand it, the more you realize that the big battles are because of the big opportunity that the spiritual forces know is there. Yeah. So the harder the push, instead of being like, oh, this is a really big push, I must, I must just want to give up here, recognize there's a reason for the big push against what God is doing, right? Wow. Yeah, I was going to say that the big push with make a decision, like, okay, I'm going to do this. Lord, I'm, you know, I'm dedicated to it. And then my flesh goes, everything's going okay, and then things start happening. And it feels like the ceiling's caving in, you know, and the car won't start, whatever it yep. is. All these other things are going on, and my flesh is over here going, you know, when you were doing the stupid thing, <laughs> when you're doing the wrong thing, Everything was kind of going okay, wasn't right, it? Right. You weren't having all these other problems, and things were going pretty smooth, and you didn't have to deal with the aggravation of this, 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 this. Yep. And now you get back to oh. Yeah, no. It, it is, it's, the reality is that all of that battle is meant to do what Paul says here, which he says, you are gratifying the desires of flesh following its desires and thoughts. It is a way that your flesh tries to gain control is to take to, to emphasize what you want selfishly and what you think or understand. The word uh, that the, the, the following word there, following your desires and thoughts, describes the enslavement. That is the word that talks about bondage, the power over us that we cannot break free from. We followed the flesh. Literally, we had to follow the flesh. We were slaves to the flesh. And it enslaved us because of our desires. The word desires talks about what we want or what we want to happen. Something we want to own, we want to have, or some experience, some situation, circumstance, uh, you know, status that we want. It is a desire. The, the flesh enslaves us by our desires. And so what happens in life as a believer, as I fight this battle against the gratification of the flesh is when something shows up that is unpleasant, my flesh never embraces unpleasant, uncomfortable, sacrificial. My flesh does not embrace it. So its desire immediately is for relief, comfort, control, certainty, security. Always my flesh will desire that. And as soon as uncomfortable shows up, it inflames the desire of my flesh. My flesh speaks loudly about I don't want this. I shouldn't have this. I want that. And then it begins to talk about what's at stake through my desires. What's at stake is a good life, my happiness, my well-being, my okayness, and everything that I think it's going to impact if I don't have what I want. It can be small or it can be huge. It can be, I don't want this life-threatening illness or to lose a loved one. It can be a small thing of, I would have liked to not been behind this driver that's making me late. You know, like all across the scale, it, it doesn't matter what inflames that desire, but the desire is what the flesh uses to try to bring me back into this posture of bondage that I've been set free from. But it tries to take me back to the pattern of being enslaved to the flesh. That word desire is the same word used in this passage for the will of God. It's God's desire. It's God's will. So my, the will of my flesh, the desires of my flesh, what my flesh wants to see happen, that's how my flesh enslaves me. That what we wanted, what we saw as desirable led our lives. It's what we chased. So a single person who wants to be married would chase relationship. Uh, a person who doesn't have the coolest toys and that, that appeals to them would chase more money or higher position or more power or more popularity or more people approving of me and liking me and less people being mad at me. It's the desires, it's the want. And not everybody's want is the same. We all are unique in the way that we process life, but we all have a belief about what our flesh thinks would make us happy and peaceful.
right? And then when that circumstance shows up, that want rises up within us. And following what you want, Paul says, that's the problem. Following what you want. So what would be the problem for a Christian following what they want? Like we hear today, follow your heart. You know, make, live, live from your gut. You know, trust your gut. Follow like, your dreams. Dream big. What's the problem for a Christian? Paul's putting it in the category here of you are enslaved to your flesh as you follow your desires. That enslaves you to the... And Christians, a lot of times, they kind of put spiritual language over that, like God gave me a dream, God gave me a passion. What's the problem for a Christian following their desires, Chuck? Right, Isaiah 55. Yeah. Yeah. And the comparative in Isaiah 55 is my thoughts aren't your thoughts. But then he doesn't just say we're a little different. Because what he goes on there to say is, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your. It's not just like, you know, you're over here and I'm a little bit over here. God's like, there is so much difference between my thoughts and your thoughts, my desires and your desires. And I'm saying to you, let's not have a competition here because in the reality of eternity, there is no competition. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways, my desires are higher than yours. So yeah, some of it is that we are so much less than what we need. Our, our thoughts and desires are so much smaller than what we need for this life. So uh, a friend, a guy I do work for, uh, you know, we text each other every morning, devotions back and forth. And so Monday I said, well, it's Monday with a frowning face and, and the Eagles lost. That was after the devotions. He texts back. He said, that's because the Eagles take our focus off of God. So mm. what we're saying here is, you yeah. know, the focus. Yeah. That's, that's the whole thing. There. And that's what your talking. flesh wants to do. Focus, focus where? What I want. Right. What God wants or what I want. Yeah. And, and even we see the Savior, you know, as Jesus in the garden, wrestling with that very concept, right? If it's your will, Lord, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, what you want. You see that battle even in Jesus, in, his, in the humanity mm -hmm. of this. So uh, understanding that is a battle. What I want versus what he wants is going to be a battle because what Charlie said, his ways are so much higher than my ways, they're not going to feel right to me. Even when they are right, they're not going to feel right to me. Right? Yeah, but it's, sometimes it is kind of hard because, uh, you know, God wants us to be happy. And he, he gives us nice things. Sure. And, you know, even football games to watch. So our focus is sometimes off. It can't be on God all the time. And I, I don't know... If that's what we're supposed to be doing, but right. I don't know how you could do. At least I can't do two right. things at once. If I'm watching something or doing something, or I'm, so, okay, know, who so, can do two things at once yeah, here? Nobody. So, yeah. All right, all you ladies. So sometimes the focus is <laughs> is somewhere else, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. 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 Well, I think this. Think when when what happens is our flesh loves to when we take something that God gives us that we enjoy from the hand of God. It loves to edge God out of that picture and make the thing that we enjoy right. the reason for our joy. So good things quickly become idols. You know, I mean, how many times have I talked about how parents can make their children their idol? Like, not idol like they go bow down to their kids, but their life forms around their kids. Their well-being is dependent on their children. Their whole expectation of the meaning and purpose in life is dependent on their children. And what happens is children cannot hold that weight. Every idol that we pick cannot hold the weight of our lives and it always crumbles. Even good things like kids, mm -hmm. right? So God means for us to enjoy them, but he means for us to enjoy them in the view of his plan working on our life, a reflection of his goodness, that his goodness is sure whether all of that goes the way I want it to or not. I can enjoy it in those moments of human joy, but I'm not enjoying it because human joy is my hope is the reason that I can be at peace because everything's right. So, absolutely. Dan? Um, 
What was the question? <laughs> oh, I don't remember the question, but somehow I'm thinking of this. Our flesh is self-protective. Yes. What was the question again? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, did, I feel like I'm answering something because that was my thought. Yeah. Well, we're, what we're talking about is that how our flesh takes over. Yeah. So, that, so when, when the difference between I'm willing to lay it down or our flesh will always look out for, is this going to hurt me? Yes. If this is going to hurt me, it, I'm not doing it. And, it. and that call to lay down our rights when maybe we have the right to yeah. be respected or whatever in that scenario, yeah. our flesh says, well, you have the right. Yeah. So to lay that down, I think is there's a difference. I, you know, I think control. As, as we grew up in Christian circles, my, my, my siblings and I grew up in Christian circles, and we heard a lot about how people laid down their life for Jesus. And it, as a little kid, you're always like, yeah, if, if I ever had to, man, I, I would do that. And yeah, I hope we would. But the real test is not the someday if. And, and it doesn't always have to be life or death because Jesus calls us to be living sacrifices, that I'm laying down my life not to die necessarily, but to live for him, to this, this day and these moments for him. And that's where my real struggle is. And that's where my flesh chirps at me. Well, this isn't life or death. This isn't denying Jesus. This isn't that big of a deal. This doesn't matter that much. You see, my flesh will move the battle line wherever it needs to be moved to regain control through, through desire. But the other thing is through thoughts. You know, we, we were following its desires and thoughts. And so the word thoughts there talks about my understanding. How I understand what's happening in life. Have your uh, thoughts, have your understandings ever been the battleground between the flesh and the spirit for you? Like, it comes out like this. God, why? I don't understand. I don't see how that could be good. These are the words that come out when the battle line is my understanding. I want to understand. And it's almost, it starts to become this demand. God, explain yourself to me. Because I don't understand it. And because I don't understand it, it probably can't be good unless I could understand it. And so what I'm doing is I'm being enslaved to a view of life that comes from my flesh. Because who is superior? Who is the ultimate in that economy? Human. Me, my understanding. And like we just looked at in, Ephesians, er, in Isaiah 55, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His way is unimaginable to us, unprocessable to us. Like if you want to really understand God, start with understanding how he created everything you see, stars, galaxies, suns, earth, water, out of nothing. Get that down. Explain it to me. And then we can talk about why God like that's and it's not that it's bad to ask God why it's just do you understand that we may not have the capacity to understand why but because of that frustration and it's really pride in our flesh that wants to understand and wants to know and thinks we should be able to understand and know our flesh uses that to, to bring us back to that posture of slavery. I will control you. I will tell you what's right and what's wrong. And when you think about the whole arc of the story of Scripture, isn't that where it all started? The problem with mankind started with, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will know for yourself what is right and wrong. And God knows if you eat that tree, you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. So that implies that prior to eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where, how did they know what was right and wrong? God told them, right? So what's that? Dependence on God. What, what the, the sin that, that brought sin to mankind, the downfall was an independent desire. I don't need God anymore. I understand for myself. See? And so like on Sundays when we come and worship and we come in, and on Wednesday nights to open up the word of God and challenge our soul, there's a part of us the part of you that goes, yeah, that's right. That's your soul. That's your spirit. That's that part of you that's been made new. 
But then when you go out of here, and like right now, you're not doing anything. So it's like your flesh is kind of quiet and we'll just sit here and listen and you know, we'll take brownie points in my soul. Like, yes, I'm a better Christian than all those people <laughs> who didn't come tonight. I'm so much better than them. And then you walk out and now it becomes who's going to control what I do out here. Like your flesh is plenty happy for you to just take this in and like check the box. But to go out and live like God knows better than me, to humble myself in prayer, to put my arms out before the Lord and say, God, I don't understand what's happening, but I know you do. If you want me to understand, show me. And if you don't, help me trust you. The humility that comes out of that is a war that is waged against my flesh, my humanity. And the war that I'm waging is a war that has been won. Jesus has given me freedom. But it's a war that I choose whether I'm going to live in that freedom or not by whether I allow my thoughts and desires to rule over me or whether I live a different way. So that, that whole thing, when we're following our flesh, it's expressed in what we want and how we think. And he closes this thing by saying, like the rest, because he just talked about how we were all like this. And like the rest of people, we were, he closes this by saying, we were by nature deserving of wrath. At one time, we were this. Now we're different, but at one time we were this. We were deserving of wrath. We were, the words are, by nature. So Paul is teaching us something here, and this is a really profound truth, and it is one that the world does not get and sounds offensive to them. We are born in a sinful condition. We have inherited a sinful nature when we're born. So little baby, you know, oh, they're so cute. and They haven't done anything. Let me ask you the question. How sure are you that they will do something? 100%. We are, because we are born with this, by nature, we were deserving of wrath. It is speaking to the inborn sinfulness that all humans, outside of Jesus Christ, all humans have. It is not to blame the ruler of the kingdom of the air that causes disobedience. It, the problem is not outside, the problem is inside. So you can shut out every influence from your life. You can turn off the TV and stop listening to secular music and not go to the movies and not talk to unsaved people and live in a bubble. You have not solved your problem because the problem is here. My, my issue is not all these other... And I think sometimes we'd like to blame... It's not that other people aren't doing wrong things, but we like to blame our problems this way and not recognize that the problem is my battleground's right here. It's with me. And my children's battleground is right here. With them, like I don't, they, I didn't, if I just don't keep them around these other kids, they'll be good. No, they won't. They were born sinful, just like you and I were. And that's always going to be the reality of them. They are, this flesh does not get destroyed when we get saved. So the sinfulness that's born into them remains hanging on them. Even if they come to know Christ, their sinfulness, just like yours, stays with them and fights for control throughout life. It's why Galatians 5 reads the way it reads about the works of the flesh are manifest and here's the fruit of the Spirit. So I tell you, if you don't want to live after the flesh, live by the Spirit. If you don't, that's the answer. The answer is not, you know, try harder, do better, be a better. The answer is trust the Spirit. Uh, John 15, abide in Him. If, if, you, if you abide in me, I am the vine and your branches. If you stay connected to me, you will bear fruit. That's what he says. Words of Jesus. If you disconnect from me, you have no hope for life or fruit because you're on your own. But if you abide in me, if you take life from me, you will bear fruit. This is the battle lines that we draw. And so when he says by nature, they were children of wrath. They were deserving of wrath. He's talking about this inborn sinfulness. Can you say something? I was just going to say that I think what you explained a minute ago about the original sin essentially being dependence from God, that makes that concept more understandable, at least to me, because you're right. A baby hasn't done anything, yeah. but that 
we're born with the um, natural, I will do it my way. And that right. doesn't take very long to show up. So, because uh, I do feel like you hear that a lot, well, babies are innocent. And yes, in yes, but n not in, they've, they've been born into this line of Adam, which just said, I want it my way. So even if they've, you know, lived a perfect <laughs> four right. years or whatever, it won't, it has already been evidences of an independence from any authority. Mm -hmm. So God being the authority, I think that's, I'm just saying that makes more sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think this helps us make some sense of this world around us and even Christianity. Churches that go through all kinds of turmoil and, and spiritual leaders that fall catastrophically. How is that possible? I thought they were believers. They must not have even been saved. No, I don't know if they were saved or weren't saved, but we all have flesh. And the problem for us a lot of times is that we think we rise above it somehow or it's not gonna, we, we don't have to fight the battle anymore or the battle doesn't apply to us or something like that. That's why for us as a church, we started off by saying, God, this is the thing for us. You show us what to do and we'll do it. And if we're wrong, if we thought you showed us, show us and we'll stop doing. Like we only wanna do what you say we do. And by the way, like one of the very first discussions we have Bob remembers this. One of the very first discussions we had was, what kind of model of leadership are we going to have? Are we going to have Lone Ranger leadership where Mark is the authority and says, oh, we're doing this and that? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> because I am susceptible to my flesh just like everybody else. The, the shot that we have from the model and the word of God is a bunch of us get together and we seek God together. And in that like spiritual bond, if we will be Godward in it, God will move in us so that there's certainty and it, it advances us against the, the limitations of one person to see clearly in all that stuff. And so churches have to recognize that there is a war going on in us between our own flesh and our own sinfulness and the work of the Spirit. And anytime God is doing something good, the, the flesh and the enemy would love to come in and rip that to shreds. So the way that we work this is we come and say, we recognize any of us could fall at any time. How do we most effectively guard against that and stay watchful and vigilant about that? How do we make sure that this is the power of God at work in us? This is the same thing that should be happening in homes and in your life. It's why we talk about connectedness with small groups and in a family, a, a partnership between a husband and a wife. Because if well, I'm a lone ranger out there just trying to figure out life, you have limitations and you have blind spots. And you, but when you're with other people and you are Godward together, you got some strength to be able to see through it as you go forward. Even the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, is a powerful passage about his battle with himself. The good that I want to do, that's what I don't do. The bad that I don't want to do, that's what I always do. And every time I say, I'm not going to do bad anymore, boom, I do bad. And every time I say, I'm going to do good, whammo, I can't do the good. And what is this war going on inside of me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's, that's Paul. And what he says, is, it's no more I, but sin that is alive within me. What he's talking about is this nature, this fleshly, sinful, call it indwelling sin or fleshly sin. It is that thing that is still our battleground within us. It is not that we weren't made new. We are made new. And it really isn't that we're two identities. Our real identity is child of God, born again, holy, sanctified before the Lord. Absolutely. That is the identity. But there is this shadow of the past there is this warring thing that sounds like it's in our own voice and it's our flesh it's our humanity that's still with us and that flesh will go to the grave fighting for me 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 so it helps us understand how every good deed gets twisted into something out in the world around us it helps us understand why ministries and, and spiritual people fall and make horrible mistakes and the answer is not to you know, to just crucify them. The answer is to recognize that we are in a war. And what's the best way to fight that war? And what's the best way to recover when we lose a battle? So deserving of wrath, the term literally is the children of wrath, meaning it is an identity we are born with. We are born deserving God's wrath, the punishment for our sins. That's what we deserve when we are born. And that part of us that deserved that is still hanging on us 
while we live this life. And that brings up a question to me because we've, we were going to see in verse 4, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, grace and grace he saved us, these, all these wonderful things about God. And yet, in that verse, we find that every single person born is deserving of God's wrath, that God will pour out wrath on sinful mankind. How do we put those together? God is love, 1 John 4. And yet, we are born by nature deserving of wrath, children of wrath. How do we do those two to God? Because it doesn't seem to fit, and it is how many people dismiss the whole idea. Well, I don't believe in the God of the Bible. The God of the Old Testament, he's angry and he's telling people to kill these people and those people. And I don't, I don't want to believe, I can't believe in a God like that. And I generally say to people, listen, you know, unfortunately for you, whether you believe in something or not doesn't make it true or not. So you might want to look into who God really is to see if maybe there's a different understanding that you could come to about that. I get it. You know, a God who is angry and, and just smiting people and wiping people off face is a hard God to process. And, and yet I think there's more to the Old Testament than that caricature of God. I think there is mercy. There is rich mercy in the Old Testament, even for people who don't know God. You see it in the book of Jonah, where the city of Nineveh is desperately wicked, and God sends Jonah. And if he sent Jonah to Nineveh, don't you think he sent prophets to some of these other places that eventually got wiped out? Like, you start to piece it together that there is grace of God. And by the way, when Jonah goes, and God makes sure Jonah goes, like Jonah's like, absolutely not. I'm not going. I'm going the other way. We looked at this a couple months ago and we we're talking about worship. He went the other direction, you know, got on a ship and said, God, try to just try to make me. And God was like, fine, I will make you put him in a whale, swam him back to where he started. And he got up and he walked and he was probably all kinds of weird looking from being in the belly of a whale for three days. And he walked for two weeks to get to Nineveh. I'm sure that was a pleasant walk, you know, from out of the whale to Nineveh. And when he gets to Nineveh, he walks through the city saying, 40 days and God's going to bring judgment. 40 days and God's going to bring judgment. And the people of Nineveh who are godless repent. And God pulls back his judgment from them. And the last chapter of Jonah is Jonah going, I knew it. That's why I didn't want to come. Like, I knew you would. And so you start to get some idea of who God is in the Old Testament that the prophet of God knew, if I go to these people and they repent, God won't destroy them, and I want God to destroy them. So there's a reputation from God that we miss in the Old Testament. I think that's a huge thing for us as believers to really, we cannot just say, well, God is love, God is love. I don't know what about the Old Testament. I don't know how to answer that. We, we should have some understanding that out of all the nations of the earth, God picked Abraham and said, I will make of you a great nation. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You know what I mean? And all the world was turned against God and rebelled against God. How long did God give before Noah locked up the ark and went to be rescued from God's judgment? 120 years? Is God a God of mercy? 120 years on dry land where there had been no rain, Noah's building an ark. You think once or twice somebody came up and said, Noah, what's going on? Why are you building a boat here? And Noah's like, well, God told me that wickedness is all over the earth and God's going to judge us and the flood's coming and is going to destroy everyone who doesn't trust him. And they were like, yeah, right, whatever. 120 years. How long would you have waited? 120 years. So you see the grace of God in the Old Testament. While God is absolutely going to give punishment to those who deserve it. And I think there's part of us that knows people who have done horrific things need to answer for those horrific things. At the same time, God offers to take that punishment because God is love. His love is cast against his judgment, his holiness. His love overcomes the requirements of holiness for the sinner unimaginably by the righteous taking the place of the unrighteous, by the sinless becoming sin for us. So we see justice and mercy 
put together in the character of God. That's a pretty awesome thing, right? So I read this verse about how we were by nature deserving of wrath, and we start to understand that God's wrath is the reason we truly understand his love. Without God's justice, without the demand for sin to receive its payment, we would not understand or even begin to understand the depths of God's love for us because it's his justice that shows us his love. And so that concept of born as sinners, slaves to sins, dead in our sins, is given at the beginning of this chapter to show us how completely helpless and hopeless we are born. And then he turns the corner. And verse 4, it doesn't come through in the NIV as well, because the Greek emphasizes, it starts off like this, but God. Like you get through verses 1 to 3 and you're like, mankind is a mess. Man, we were so far from God. Man, we were so undeserving. Man, what miserable creatures we are. And then verse 4, but God. What it says is that the main point of this discussion is that God won't stay away. With every excuse and every reason, God will not stay out of the picture. He rushes in because he loves. Now, what does that say to us in our lives? That God, so you have a loved one that's far from God and your heart aches for them? Read the first three verses and then understand, but God, who is rich in mercy and loved us with a great love, rescued us, pursued us. When he had every reason to say, you've made your bed, now sleep in it. He said, no, no, no. I'm coming to rescue anyone who will put their trust in me. God has a heart to pursue. Sometimes, like, I try to phrase my prayers differently. Yeah. Like, I'll say, um, I know the Lord's pursuing them, but I'll say, now, Lord, have a Christian cross her path today. Mm-hmm. Like, I try to figure out how to phrase my prayers yeah. differently, even though I know he's in control and he is pursuing them. But I kind of feel like it's up to me to be yeah. praying correctly. Right. Like, if I don't pray that a Christian will cross her path, or, Lord, have them, like, I'll try to. Right, right, right. And um, I know he's pursuing them. Like, I'm at peace about that. But yet I feel if I don't pray correctly, and I've known the Lord for years, I know better than that. Yeah. But because we care about it so much, we think we got to, like, make some suggestions or whatever. (laughs) Right? Like, God, could you try this? Have you tried that or whatever? Aren't you thankful that God is patient with us? Well, and then sometimes I even think that might be, like, a fleshy prayer almost. Like, I'm trying trying to tell God how to answer my prayer. Right, like right. Like you said, suggestions. I, sometimes I think I have really good ones. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. But see, here's the thing, George. I think what happens in that stuff is God calls us to this. Recognize that I, God already agrees with me, or actually, probably better, I am agreeing with God. And so I'm going, God, I know you love my son, and I know you are after him, and I thank you for that. I thank you that I could not even come up with the right plan, but you have it, and you're doing it. So whether it is, brings it's not about being graded on my praying right, but there's a posture of my heart that recognizes God is after them in a, in a way that is so much better than anything I could map out. Step one, step two, step three. And if I know my child, how much more does God know my child? But yet you still have to keep praying for them. Right. No, but I think that the, if you're talking with someone who agrees with you, it doesn't mean you're done talking, but you're sharing together. You know what I mean? And, and sometimes what the enemy and my flesh wants me to do is put myself like in a little bit of like leverage position with God or like nudge him some certain direction. And, it, and what I recognize is he doesn't need the nudge in that direction when I'm talking about someone that I love that he's after, that God showed us already. He is coming into the story of mankind sinful mankind. He has every reason to stay away, but he just charges in 
to the story of lost mankind. He charged into my story, charged into your story, and he comes in to rescue us when we don't deserve rescue. That's his richness of mercy and in his love, his great love for us and in his grace that we have been saved and he showed us this kindness. And he just is like profuse in all of these words to describe God because the character of God is most clearly seen in the way that he chooses to save mankind who is undeserving. And as we recognize that, what I do is I find myself close to the Lord in prayer with the aches of my heart like that. And when I've blown it and I've made a mess and my life is in shambles, I don't go, oh Lord, you're sick of me, I'm sick of me, let's just forget it. I recognize that God charges into the undeserving because he is a God who is rich in mercy and grace. And he rescues those who are in desperate need who will turn to him not because they deserve it, not because they promise not to do it again, not because he is God like that. He is a redeeming God. And he has made a plan and shown his heart that he wants to rescue the lost. The question for me is, do I believe that about God? And as his child, is that my heart too? Do I have a heart for the lost, for the broken, for the... It, not, you know, God, I kind of care more about this person than you do, but... God, I know you care more than I do, so help me care more like you do, not would you please care more like I do. It puts me in that place. I guess knowing all these things, it makes it difficult to pray because understanding that God loves us even more than we can love him. Yeah. He wants the very best for these people that we love, Jerry. Yeah. So we can't, we can't say, Lord, um, speak to them in your Holy Spirit because he already is. Yeah. We know all these things that he's pursuing them and then we can't say on the other hand either open their hearts because they have to open their hearts. Yeah. So yeah. then to find the right words to yeah. say other than the fact that Lord, you know I love this person dearly. There you go. But then how do, the, how do you verbiage that? How you say, Lord, I, well, I think a lot of prayer is about reminding myself and pouring out what I want and what I think. But in that pouring out what I want is, is, is there a faith part to that that says what we just talked about? My desires are not the indicator of truth and right. and My desires are my desires, and I want to give them to you, Lord, because I believe in your heart. I trust your heart. And so I know exactly what I'm saying to you. You understand, and you know how to take all that in and put it in the right place. So I, in, in praying for the lost, you gave your son for the lost. You gave your son for the one that I love, for the one that's on my heart. If you went to that degree, I know you'll do everything that it takes to give them the best chance, every chance, to come to you. Thank you for that, Lord. And help me to be ready if you're going to use me. <laughs> help me to be on point. And if there's other people you're using, help them to be on point. Help them to be winning the battle and give them the strength and the faith and the eyes. That, you know what I mean? Like you're praying for God's plan. as he's, Whatever he's doing, do it, Lord. And I'm with you. It's like I'm getting on your team, God. You know, some of the times, uh, more than a few, I guess, prayer is don't let me get in the way of your holy yeah 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 because sometimes my verbs i get too much or i'm too excited or you know you, I, I used to tell everyone i could talk to my son when i got in the car going down the road at 50 miles an hour what's he going to do get out yeah right 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go there you go and and yeah i think all of us know that our when our desires even for good things overwhelm our faith we can make a mess of a good desire. So how many of us, when we got saved, our good desire to see other people saved overwhelmed a dependence on God and like ran people over with a steamroller, right? And that, did that do a bunch of good? I'm not saying God can't redeem that because he can. I'm just saying we are, our urgency and our, it didn't help them. It just like, they were like, whoa, what did you have? And do you need help? You know, like, yeah, right? Like, oh, there's that Georgia. Get out of here. Yeah, right. So it's a believer who has radical faith and believes. I think one of the best things we can do is reflect the goodness of God in how we trust him and in sharing my faith with others. I think as a parent, you know, as, as my ch children were li little, I really felt like I needed to shape them and mold them and make them what they needed to be and everything. And as they grew, and some of my youth pastoring things, and all this process, I think it was the work of the Spirit to like, 
open up some, some dumb eyes. But what I started to realize is one of the things my children need is for me to believe that God is good and God cares about them and God is at work in them and to assure them of that, that I believe that. That what they're facing right now, what they're struggling with and what's going on in them, God has an answer for you and God cares about you and I think you're going to get it. It may take a while. It's taken me a while lots of times. But I, I know you have everything you need and we're going to trust the Lord to show you your way through this. Whether it was a dating relationship or financial crisis or betrayal of friendship or what, whatever it was, God is big enough for this. And you're going to find your way through this and you're going to, I know you're going to come out the other end really good from the, they need that from me instead of like the, oh no, no, don't make this mistake. Oh no, no, no. Let me help you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like all that panic starts to reflect like you're not capable and I'm not sure God's even, God even knows you're around. So let me make sure you're okay. See, and I think as we share our faith, there's some of that involved where I have the assurance the goodness of God, and I live in the assurance of the goodness of God. So if I'm sharing my faith with other people, God's after them, and I might just be a link in that chain, so I come in and do my part, and, I'll leave, and I'm not trying to push somebody or beat them down. Or I'm just like, hey, listen, if you want to know what I think about God, I'd be glad to tell you. And you know, I hope you get to know him too, because he is incredible. It's the reason that I'm alive. You know what I mean? Instead of like, oh no, that's sin. Like people want to start off with the hammer, if God started off with the hammer on you, you would have never made it to the cross, right? Because he had lots of reasons to hammer you down. And people are like, well, they got to know that sin. They gotta... What they got to know is Jesus. And what they, what they need to know is that they're lost. They may not know all of why they're lost, but all of us are lost. We just read that. So I can say, listen, all of us are lost and it gets expressed in lots of different ways whether it's that I lose my temper or I've murdered someone or anywhere in between, like all of that stuff. And lots of stuff I don't even know that I'm lost because I'm so lost I don't even know I'm lost for that. But I know this, without Jesus, I'm without hope. Without Jesus, when I die, I don't know what's going to happen to to me. But with Jesus, I know I'm alive now and I know I'll be alive then. That's what makes the difference. And if you'll know Jesus, he'll change you. If you'll follow him, if you'll take seriously what he says and, and those who follow him, what you'll find is that Jesus will change you completely in ways you haven't imagined, in ways I can't describe to you. But if we put the cross where it belongs and the goodness of God where it belongs, we start to recognize that people can come and find the one who can redeem them. And then the spirit of God can sort out in their soul things that the enemies blinded them to for a long time. I'm not going to, by the force of my argument, enlighten them. The Spirit does. So I think even in that, living like God is good enough to trust. In my prayer, in my decisions, in the peace that runs me day to day, living like God is good enough to trust. When I don't understand Him, when I don't get what I want, when life is uncomfortable, when life is uncertain, living like God is good enough to trust. That's what we call a walk by yeah, and, and for me in prayer, uh, you know, I hear what Georgia was saying, and you know, we want to pray for, you know, salvation for a child or, mm-hmm. or a friend or, or, or a child that's walked away from the Lord. Or, you know, but the bottom line is, after all that, you, you see my heart, the bottom line is your will be done and not mine. Yeah. Because I might not like the end thing, but I will trust that mm-hmm. when, at the end, when it is the end, it's yeah. your will. Yeah. And that's the most important. That's the bottom line. Absolutely. I think that's modeled by Jesus for us, who went to a cross trusting his father, and thousands and thousands of brothers and sisters in Christ throughout history who went to their death trusting Christ. For us, will we trust him? Will we trust him? Yeah. Tom. Some, somewhere in the Bible talks about how we don't know how to pray. Yeah. That, that the Spirit will perfect our prayers. Yeah. We're just called to, con- to, uh, to obey, to obedience. Right. To pray. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, I think that can give you a lot of peace. And you just pray for what you think, you're, you know, whatever, whatever you're making up. Yeah, right, right. You know, as you go along. Yeah. But, you know, we know that. 
Yeah, I don't think we have to be heavy on grading ourselves, but I do think prayer changes us. And, and as we trust him, I want to express that as I pray. But you're right. There's two places in Romans and Hebrews where it talks about that our prayers kind of get interpreted by the spirit. You know, like I say these things, but God knows my heart. My words might not be right, but God knows my heart. And the spirit takes my heart to the Lord as I pray. So I don't have to like, did I, oh no, did I put a conjunction in there? Like, I don't have to do all that stuff. Right. Yeah, and I think it's because God knows the future. And we might be praying, well, have this person come to church today. Well, right. Might, in all his infinite configuration, that might be the wrong thing to do. Right. And what you want might happen at another church or another yep. day. Or, you know. mm-hmm. No, you're exactly right. Exactly right. Yes, sir. It was mentioned that we want God's will to be done. There's a lot of things about God's will we don't, under, we don't know and we yeah. don't understand. But one thing we do understand is that God is not willing that any perish. So we know that for a fact. We don't know a lot of things, but if we can take that and apply, you know, allow it to sink into our heart and our mind about the folks around us, you know, that helps me to understand. I may not know the yeah. direction these loved people, what is his will for jobs, for relationships, and so forth. But if we know that, that he is not willing that any should perish, yeah. that says a lot. Yeah, and I think that some of the reason that Christianity is out of step with our world is because that kind of on both sides of our political spectrum, both parties are willing that people would perish. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that, it makes us out of sync because if we want to reflect the heart of God, we have a heart for people, whoever, wherever, however. And that, that doesn't mean that we have the perfect solution for that. I'm just saying, even in my life, it's not that far off person. It's the up close people that I couldn't care if you were here or not here. That's not our father. So that we need to we need to reflect that in our lives too.